The following recording may contain explicit language. I can't get more explicit than may. Let's just say it may. It's Tuesday, October 30th, 2018. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. You gotta have a cause. Why? Cause. Now, some causes are bad causes. Uh, This is kind of obvious, but if they're causes that if they were to be implemented would make the world worse in your opinion, you would not consider them causes. You know, if you're pro-life, you shouldn't have a pro-choice cause. See what I'm saying there? So sometimes I think, what are the biggest causes? What have been the biggest causes for me in my life? I don't mean personally, but you know, world, global, national causes. For much of my life, it was one type of eradication or another. So for the first 20, 23 years of my life, it was the eradication of nuclear weapons. That probably was the biggest cause. If if you could say, what's a movement that if they worked would make the world the best, I'd say that's the one. And then the next, there was a little lull. And then for 10 years, I would say the eradication of terrorism. That seemed to be the biggest cause. Hey, we won on both those things, didn't we? Do we feel much safer? And now, I guess we could say the biggest cause is somewhere between global warming and Trump. Which one would you rather eradicate? I think it's a good thought experiment. Which would you choose? Let's say we went back 20 years and all of a sudden, everyone, all the Earth's leaders got together, addressed carbon emissions and turned the dial back on global warming and there was no climate change to speak of. Or... Go back 20 years and Trump gets arrested or stays bankrupt or contracts syphilis, but just goes away. What would you rather have? What would you rather have today? A world where Trump is president, but there is no global warming or a world with global warming, but no Trump. Now, if Trump were president, but there was no global warming, he'd still pull out of the Paris Accords, but the Paris Accords would be an agreement to use the metric system or something. Now, a world with global warming and we'd have a President Hillary Clinton. Maybe we'd even have a President Marco Rubio who maybe would be surprisingly good on climate science because he likes Miami and things like that. So maybe things wouldn't be so dire if we had global warming but a different president. Anyway, one of those two things is probably my number one cause. But the question I want to get into right now as touched off by some items in the news, is what's my number last cause? What is a cause that were the people who agitate to end the thing or start the thing, were they to get their way, the world would change. And you'd have to admit, yes, the world changed for the better, but ever so slightly better. If it's a bad thing, there'd be less of the bad thing. We have to admit that's good, but we hardly want to get out of bed for it. I will tell you my fifth from the bottom cause. Chinese dog meat festivals. Yeah, I like dogs. I like dogs. I like pork, though. Pork's delicious. It's just that wading into some other culture and wagging your fingers at them because dogs are cutesy-wootsy, but past the spare ribs, spare me. Plus, also, it's a huge issue for Lisa Vanderpump of the Vanderpump Rules, and I believe that show is edited selectively. My fourth from the bottom cause, Water in the West. This is on me. It means I'm a terrible person. I just find it the most boring thing in the world. I do not care about water in the West. I mean, I care. I apparently care a little bit less than dog festivals, but more than the rest of what I'm going to bring up. I'll give you something that I care about more. Speaking of water, soap, antibacterial soap. I worry more about antibacterial soap than I do water in the West. I'm probably wrong about this one, but I'm not wrong about the next one. The third from the bottom cause, the anti-penultimate cause, hemp. 
You know these hemp guys. Yeah, it's stronger. It's banned. Wouldn't it be better if we used more hemp? We know what's going on, you dirty hippies. Now, here is my penultimate cause. It is really the meh of meh issues. Good roles for older actresses in Hollywood. I can't say it's not a problem, but if given the choice between Deborah Winger starring in a reboot of Legal Eagles and slightly stronger rope, I think I take the stronger rope. Just being honest here. And the number one cause that is my last cause, which is to say a cause that I'm behind, but I couldn't be behind more weekly, is this cause. When prisoners get together to kill a murderer. It's not right. I'm not saying it's right. I can't applaud prisoners working together. That is not justice. We put people in jail for justice. If the other prisoners get together, kill the very bad man. I mean, what really separates us from the animals? But Jeffrey Dahmer meeting his maker in a time and manner outside the dictates of the state of Wisconsin penal system doesn't seem like the biggest deal in the world. I'm just saying. And now, Whitey Bulger, 89-year-old Boston mob boss, Whitey Bulger, set upon by his fellow inmates. You can argue he united them in a group activity. Listen, it's wrong. It's not Sally Field once played Tom Hanks' boyfriend in one movie and then a few years later in Forrest Gump played his mother. It's not that kind of wrong, but it's wrong. So I'm glad that I got to share with you my bottom five causes. And if you're thinking, Mike, what about the straw ban? I'm actually against the straw ban. Yes, that's a cause I don't even have the most tepid of support for, banning straws. My blood doesn't boil over it. There's a barely discernible 0.0001 degree below room temperature opposition to it, but I am against the straw ban. I would trade a box of straws for an alive Whitey Bulger today. And if someone were to film Penelope Ann Miller and Maria Conchita Alonso using those straws in a feature film set in a Sacramento water filtration plant, all the better. Because you know why? Trump's still president. On the show today, I spiel about the aforementioned Mr. Trump and his latest proposal to upend constitutionally guaranteed citizenship rights because some advisor with a law degree from Trump U said so. But first, let's work our way backwards from today. Think about the major stories in the news the last couple days. Birthright citizenships today. The horrible tree of life killings that was over the weekend that was big was before that. Pocahontas, was that the, ah, am I forgetting something? Oh yeah, the mass mailing of bombs that gripped the nation for days. But now it kind of seems like a relic of a bygone era. Still, I have some questions. Those questions need answers. And luckily I have a perfect expert to answer them. A professor of explosions actually, up next. Let me tell you about the next Slate Live event that I'm involved in. Slate's best political minds will break down the midterm elections and possibly just break down, depending on the results of the midterm elections, in a live conversation in Brooklyn. It'll be me, Jamel Bowie, Dahlia Lithwick, and Jim Newell at the Polanski Shakespeare Center. I can walk there. I know where that is. That will be the Thursday after Election Day, which is to say November 8th. That will be November 8th. Join us for the lively recap discussion. We'll take your questions too. Go to slate.com slash live for tickets to that event.
Wow, what a week and what a week that was. The news just changes so quickly. If you had asked me at this time what will dominate the conversation right now, of course it would be these bombings that targeted uh, the major leaders of one of the political parties in the United States. We seem to have forgotten that. I was looking for information about the bomber or would-be bomber, and there are articles, but they are page A15 type articles. We have moved on. But I don't want to move on. I have a number of questions about the explosives, about the handling of the entire incident, and I'm joined by Steve Johnson, who is the forensics lead at Cranfield University. What kinds of forensics? Chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, and explosive forensics. He also teaches at Georgetown in emergency and disaster management. Hello. Thank you for joining me, Steve Johnson. Hi there. Lovely to be here. So we know, or from what the authorities have told us, these bombs are in fact bombs, not hoax devices. What constitutes a bomb? Yeah. So uh, academics have, have thrown themselves against the railings for for years in trying to define that properly. And it can be a bit tricky in law. But Ultimately, we're looking at a device which has got uh, some sort of a material that will combust and create an explosion um, and the apparatus around it to contain it and to trigger it when someone would like it to to actually function. So from what we know of these devices, and you could tell me how you know what you know, um, I think it is beyond dispute that there was some material that's explosive, and that alone would carry a lot of penalties. But we're also sure that the triggering devices were functional or designed to be functional? So um, difficult to say really at the moment just from uh, some of the images there, but I mean, the FBI are really pretty good at uh, determining the difference between a a functional and a non-functional device. And we have to understand as well that just because someone has badly constructed the device, that doesn't mean it's not considered a viable bombing attempt. Um, just because they were incompetent doesn't mean that uh, that it would be considered a hoax necessarily. Right. Although just because they're sending the material through the mail, that alone would be enough to be considered dangerous and that person would be arrested and would go to jail if that were proved for many years, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's a range in the U.S. There's a range of offenses from from possession or uh, mailing of uh, explosives through to when you can start to ascribe a tent to cause fear or to uh, to actually cause harm as well. Tell me about the timing mechanism that this would be bomber is said to have used. Sure. So this has got a lot of people um, up in arms. Many people have said, "Well, you don't put timing mechanisms on pipe bombs." It's not true. There's been plenty of pipe bombs that have had timing mechanisms. The Atlanta bombings in Centennial Park at the Olympics is a good example. Um, it is a bit unusual to put a timing device uh, on a mailed device. It suggests perhaps a little bit more confidence in the postal system than many people would have. A couple of other questions about the composition of the bomb. It's said to be PVC pipe, and I know that you can make a bomb from that, but aren't pipe bombs usually made from metal parts? So uh, we see quite a big spread. Um, And again, usually people, when they hear about uh, PVC pipe bombs, think, well, how much damage can that really cause? Well, we've had simple fireworks with PVC and plastic bodies um, uh, in countries around the world, which have been powerful enough to to destroy um, postal boxes and sort of metal containers. So they can be incredibly powerful. So not unusual to see, certainly capable of killing the person that it was sent to. 
Mm -hmm. And I've also read, and I don't know if you have, and I don't know how accurate this is, but maybe you do, that the materials inside were glass and that plus the PVC, the supposition was they were made to be lightweight so that they could be mailed. But is that common and what kind of damage would um, glass used as shrapnel rather than metal? What kind of damage would that do? You have very similar effects with both of them. Um, it's, it's pretty common if you can't get a metal container to add additional fragmentation. So there's sort of multiple mechanisms that cause injury. There's the blast itself, um, there's the container, and then adding material in there, uh, sometimes referred to as, as dockyard confetti, so just any bits of metal or, or sharp object. So that would have had a, a, a devastating effect at quite a close range. So, so glass could be just as deadly as metal. Oh, absolutely. And um, uh, we've done research showing that uh, glass can, uh, under blast conditions, can have um, some some very nasty effects as well. Uh, and you only have to look at uh, the injuries that people get from flying glass in explosive attacks where, you know, panes of glass are blown out and they get devastating injuries. Now, I want to ask you about the communication aspect of this investigation. And by the way, they caught the guy really quickly. They seem to have done a good job. So I don't want to criticize the uh, authorities to any degree on that. And I don't even know if I want to criticize them in terms of communication. But I worry that one of the effects of terrorism is to terrorize. And the more you always have a balance between informing the public and making sure they're safe versus creating panic or fear. I'll also stipulate that because uh, some bombs were sent to media organizations or a media organization, CNN, or at least uh, a person who the bomber mistakenly thought worked for CNN, you had the whole evacuation of the building. Of course, they're going to run with it as a story. And at that moment, if, uh, if authorities thought that they could control the story being told about this, I would say that that was pretty much out the window. What I would say as well, and it's a good point that you highlight, the, the trouble with these incidents as well is it can become very easy to start becoming very fearful of everything. Um, and, uh, and questions start to be asked about why wasn't this picked up and purchases of particular items, why wasn't that uh, identified as well. And we do have to bear in mind that these are attacks, although they're sort of um, uh, scary, they do remain a fairly minor part of, um, or rather not minor, but a small part of the, the threats that we face every day. Uh, and we can't sort of jump at every possible um, scare, or otherwise terrorism wins. Yeah. I mean, I agree. What do you make of the fact that CNN and media, media organizations publicized and tweeted out at least portions of what the packages and the bombs look like? Interestingly, the uh, the bomb technician community um, uh, raised some eyebrows about that for a number of reasons. Some involved with the fact that until you've got someone in custody, you don't necessarily want you're almost helping him understand what may have gone wrong with the device. Yeah, if that was uh, you know the intention was to have a fully viable device. So, you know, I think we'd prefer not to see things like that. The flip side, though, is that helping people to recognise what might be a suspicious package is a useful function that the, the press can play in in those sorts of roles. I would be surprised if CNN did that without consulting with some either actual on-duty security professionals or people that they had as advisors. Sure. And I mean, it looked to me a little bit like the x-ray pictures in particular had been blurred a little. Um, they're certainly not the sharpest of yeah. focus. Um, and again, bomb technicians uh, love to be nerdy. And so there were a lot of people suggesting, well, I, I, that wasn't very well taken, suggesting to me that actually that those images were probably not the best quality images that they had. And there was a sort of an agreement that we'll send something out, but 
you know, we will reserve the, the, the key details. Right. You don't have this problem in Britain, but in America, it's a much more efficient way to kill people to use guns. And yet bombs still have this hold on the imagination. They do seem to me, uh, putting aside the destruction, although if you look at death toll of the Boston bombing, um, and a lot of that death toll was by shooting people with guns. But it does seem to me that uh, history shows in America, recent history, that bombing is extremely inefficient for anything but getting us all in a panic. It also seems to me it's very hard to practice with a bomb. Yeah, you can't really practice with it very easily. You do see um, uh, you do see people trying to. Obviously, that provides us with more potential to intercept uh, crimes. Some of the less astute um, terrorists, uh, there's a famous one in the UK who actually used Twitter to tweet to people how to practice producing a bomb. So it was a bit of a gift to law enforcement, that one, yeah. really. He was practicing in his back garden. So... Some do try to, but obviously that comes to the attention of the authorities pretty quickly. Why, this is a question, I guess, more for psychologists than forensic experts, but why do people still try to bomb as opposed to shoot? Well, uh, the, uh, I think there are a, a sort of a, a couple of reasons. Um, we have these significant incidents that have occurred throughout history where bombs have had a massive effect, um, usually with large vehicle and truck bombs. I suspect that has quite a strong visual image and influencing effect on people thinking, oh, well, a bomb could achieve this sort of impact Um, and not really understanding actually how limited uh, the explosive power some of those devices is. Yeah. Steve Johnson is the course director in forensic explosive and explosion investigation at the UK's Cranfield University. Thank you so much. That's brilliant. Thank you. And now the spiel. I have, in this space, questioned the connection between Trump's rhetoric and the action of nut jobs. The principle is, to state it, that the ideas and debates that a society has doesn't cause the extreme outliers in a society to take violent acts. I want to protect the ideas and the debates, even when they're bad, bad ideas. That being said, that debate that I have, that's not what I want to get into now. It is entirely apart from what I think about this president, which is that he is the worst president with the worst ideas. His phrasing is the worst phrasing that a president has ever had. And he has the worst instincts for the highest number of Americans. I truly think this. I've studied to some degree the Buchanan presidency and the Harding administration. Buchanan tried. He was actually a good politician before he got into the presidency. Tough situation. Harding was corrupt. He was venal. Andrew Johnson, little like Trump, very mean, very angry. But the thing is, in those days, the presidency just did a lot less. So this president maximizes harm. The birthright citizenship ban is such a quote-unquote policy. The idea was apparently something the president and his advisors have been considering. We found this out in an interview with Jonathan Swan of Axios. It will air this weekend on HBO, and the president confirmed that it is his intention to thwart the 14th Amendment by executive action. I will play the clip of that. And please note, when we say 14th Amendment, we mean to the Constitution. 
Now they're saying I can do it just with an executive order. Now, how ridiculous. We're the only country in the world where a person comes in, has a baby, and the baby is essentially a citizen of the United States for 85 years with all of those benefits. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it has to end. Um, have you talked about that with counsel? Yeah, I have. So where in the process? It's in you... the process. It'll happen. This with year. an executive order. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, that's that's a exactly very interesting. What I'm about. I didn't think anybody but knew that but me. I thought I was the only one. I, by the way, think there actually can be a decent debate and perhaps a vote by two-thirds of the elected officials to reform this. That's how a constitutional amendment should happen. Uh, There are some aspects to birthright citizenship that aren't great. Have you heard about birth tourism? Yes, wealthy Chinese ladies come to America to give birth. Voila, they're citizens. There was a killing in one of these centers a little while back. That doesn't really help. It's a perverse incentive to tell pregnant women in Mexico, you got to sneak across the border, give birth to a baby. I can think of good, rational solutions like... If you're born in America, you've got to spend some time in America of your first two years in America. If you're born here to a non-citizen, if you spend half the time here, you get to be an American. You know, if we wanted to do this normal, constitutional, let's debate it out like rational people ways. Or I got another idea. Let's not change it at all. It's not really that much of a problem. But to propose this change in this manner by fiat at this time is madness. And by at this time... I bring you back to the tree of life killings and what that killer was motivated by. Here's a rule of thumb. If you're going through life, you're asking yourself, am I a decent person? Use this test. What I'm doing, would it make the people on Gab happy? If the people on Gab would be happy, you're probably doing something wrong. Nice rule of thumb. Gab is happy. The killer himself, he's in court. Perhaps he's a little upset that he was caught but he's heartened to know that his policy agenda is advancing. For President Trump to introduce this policy now on this day is the equivalent of Bill Clinton right after the capture of the Unabomber saying, but you know, he raises a number of good points and now I'm going to jail Steve Jobs. Or President Obama dealing with the pulse shooting this way. This is an especially heartbreaking day for all of our friends, our fellow Americans who are lesbian, gay, bisexual or transgender. The shooter targeted a nightclub where people came together to be with friends, to dance and to sing and to live. The place where they were attacked is more than a nightclub. It is a place of solidarity and empowerment where people have come together to raise awareness, to speak their minds and to advocate for their civil rights. So this is a sobering reminder that attacks on any American regardless of race, ethnicity, religion, or sexual orientation, is an attack on all of us and on the fundamental values of equality and dignity that define us as a country. That said, I'm signing an executive order against gay marriage. Yes, I can. Or even better, remember those mass slaughters, those shootings at the Unqua Community College or in Santa Barbara, Isla Vista, California, and those were the ones that were committed by the so-called incels. Trump's citizen ban today is like after those killings, if Obama announced, but we're going to do mandatory speed dating by executive fiat. Of course, that would never lead to anything, but you know, Trump's always proposing an infrastructure week, and that never leads to anything. So Trump, after these shootings, reacts in the only way he knows how. He reads a written down statement against anti-Semitism, but first... He tells you, 
that a gun in the temple would have saved some lives. Let me say this. I think a gun in the temple may have saved some lives. It's not a bad idea, horribly enough, to have an armed guard in a synagogue. My kids go to a Hebrew school that has an armed guard. They went to a Hebrew preschool that had an armed guard. It's New York City, but it's not a crazy idea. It's not a sufficient idea because Santa Fe High School had armed guards and 10 people were killed there. The guards did well. This wasn't a situation like Parkland where the guard fled. The guards were in the shooter's face four minutes after the shooting began. One of them almost got killed. They got shot and 10 other people died. Now, you could say, all right, Trump advocating, oh, what about uh, having a gun in the Tree of Life synagogue? You could say, well, that's just like Obama or me using the shooting to say, why don't we ban guns? Why don't we ban specifically AR-15s? What's the difference? I'll tell you the difference. It's that Trump has nothing else to say. He only has his combative words. He is, in fact, a poor communicator. A lot of people say, say what you want. He's good at talking to his base. Tautology. He is an inflexible communicator. How good a communicator can you be when your job is to get the support of most Americans, and you have literally never uttered a sentence designed to get the support of most Americans. There are other jobs that you might think have similar requirements to be popular or to appeal to the most people ever, like if you're selling soda, right? You know, If you were running Coke, you would want to say things that would appeal to the most Americans. But even Pepsi, even members of that duopoly, do just fine if not the most Americans back them. Donald Trump is in one of the few positions that to succeed, you have to have the most Americans back you, and he has never even tried to achieve that. Now, part of the reason is he was elected without having the most Americans back him. So he took the wrong message from it, I think. I don't think he ever thought it was important to be popular, but he is wrong. He also did everything he could from the first day in office to make it the case that he would never be more popular than unpopular. All of his rhetoric is designed not to be more popular than unpopular. He wants to be really popular with the minority of voters, his base, tautology, but he never tried to do anything to be popular with most voters. Sure, in the inauguration, he used the word together. Together, we will make America strong again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. But the we will make America proud again and we will make America safe again. Who is the we? Clearly, even in that sentence, the antecedent is the forgotten man and woman to whom this phrase applied. You will never be ignored again. The we is only his voter. Trump has said and his minions have said, oh, we ask all Americans to join us. Yes but only on his exact terms. He never once made the briefest gesture to expand his base, which has always been in the majority. So when we say he's a good communicator, we're saying he's skilled at deploying tactics that are part of the wrong strategy. His theory of the case is that it's pointless to try to appeal to most people, and that theory is wrong. 
This man can only communicate like a blunderbuss. It seems that we all know this, but it has come up in the last couple days in an interesting way. People talk about his intemperate words, his pugnacious words, and how he hasn't distanced himself from the guys on Gab and David Duke. And I will tell you why he hasn't. It's because he can't. It's because he's not a good communicator. Now, I'm, I'm not even talking about a moral person who wouldn't want anything to do with that way of thinking. But a truly good communicator would be able to communicate to the vast majority of the Republican Party, but not appeal to the fringe on Gab. He can't do it. He only knows how to paint the wall by throwing the entire can of paint at it. It's not that he actually wants the support of David Duke. You add all those people up, all those people actually on Gab, they probably aren't going to tip an election or any state. Also, I think they're probably a slight headache to him. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. But if he cares about Ivanka's opinion, he seems to. I would guess he'd rather not have the support of David Duke. But he doesn't know how not to have the support of David Duke. He doesn't know how not to have the support of Klansmen and David Duke and the guys on Gab. He doesn't know how to appeal to the vast majority of the Fox News audience without also appealing to the Gab audience. And it can be done. I'd argue Newt Gingrich did it. If you really want to be technical, I think Jeff Sessions probably did it. So this is why Donald Trump is introducing the idea to redefine birthright citizenship. It is so see-through. It is so designed to appeal to only one constituency. It is so doomed to fail, not just in the courts, but I believe to ultimately fail Trump. Forget the merits of it. He's injecting himself in the news so much. He's dominating coverage in a way that he can't not. It's also... The exact opposite of what he did when he actually won the one election that he participated in. And that election, one with the minority of votes, gave him the wrong lesson about the consequences of being a sovereign who is unpopular in a country governed by popular sovereignty. And that's it for today's show. Pierre Bienname and Daniel Schrader produced the gist all day. They have been debating who gets to be the director of forensic explosives and who gets to call himself the director of explosion investigation. TJ Raphael is senior producer of Slate Podcasts. Her most tepidly supported cause is the eradication of the widespread belief that retweets ever imply endorsement. The gist. I've got this script for Valerie Bertinelli, Kathy Moriarty, and Marielle Hemingway. They all team up to kidnap Viggo Mortensen in an effort to tell the world that they are younger than he is. Umperu Deperu Duperu, and thanks for listening. And whether a child is born in the urban sprawl of Detroit or the windswept plains of Nebraska, they look up at the same night sky They fill their heart with the same dreams, and they are infused with the breath of life by the same almighty creator.